Every day you wake up to something new Whether that be a challenge or a new opportunity And let me tell you, that's a great thing Now you gon' have some battles You'll get your wins and you'll have your losses But no matter the outcome, there's always light at the end of the tunnel Alright, let's go Grinding every day cause I gotta get it Waking from my dream cause I'm trying to live it Make my own lane, don't care if I fit in If I want something I do it, no I'm never quitting now Honor my path, reaching my goals no matter how Bring on the wrath, promise ain't nothing gon' knock me down Tell me can you feel the vibe yet? This the encouraged mindset Welcome to another episode of Encourage Mindset. We have an amazing guest in Tyler Webb. He has determination and a passion in the sports world. So super exciting to see. I think we're a little disagreement on sports fans because I'm a huge Packer, Badger sports fan, and I think you're on a different side of that. But why don't you tell the audience about who you are, your journey, and everything about yourself? Sure. So I'll, I'll stop you first. Big Packers fan as well. So hey, we can start go. off. We can start hey, off on a good foot. I'm, hey. Exactly. I'm from Green Bay originally. So it's sort of hard to be from Green Bay and not be a Packers fan. That's that's almost okay. sacrilegious. But good, that's good. where I grew up. Yeah, I was in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And I came to Minneapolis, Minnesota for school. And so I'm a converted Gophers fan, although I, I grew up rooting for the Badgers. And now I, I get to play on the fence and when the gophers are good i can root the gophers the badgers are good, i can root the badgers it's it's more of a fan a fandom of convenience really but i, I came up here for school and I, I thought i wanted to study biology and so i entered the school of biology and i realized that wasn't probably what i what i should be doing because all throughout high school i was really interested in sports as you say in social media it actually started for me back the sophomore year of high school and I was introduced to a guy by the name of frank kugel and frank has continued to be a very good friend of mine but he was running an account called I Live for Football, which you can tell a 14-year-old named that. And it was one of these steam pages on Twitter that just reposts highlights and you know motivational things about being a high school football player. And as we were high schoolers and Frank and a couple other guys who eventually came on to help us run the account were also high school football players. It made sense. And the brand was very much in our voice and, and of our own design. And so he had 10,000 followers at the time. And I remember being introduced to him and thinking, that's so, so, so cool. You know, you're from Green Bay, Wisconsin. It's not the, the biggest place in the world. And to have this idea that you could reach 10,000 people on the internet because of some brand that you created, you know, like he created the logo, all the tweets were in his own voice. And so by proxy, it felt like people were, you know, 10,000 people were a fan of Frank and 10,000 people really listened and cared to what he had to say. And I just thought that to be so powerful. And again, this is in 2014, 2015. So Operating on social media like that it was not as ubiquitous as it is today. I think a lot of kids now will grow up at thinking like, of course you could reach that many people. But you know, to me in, in 2014, 2015, it, it wasn't such a uh, an easy conclusion to draw that you could that could yeah. be the case. So I started helping Frank, or I, I offered my help to Frank, probably unsolicited, just because of how cool <laughs> I thought it was. And I, I had no skills. I I never run an account like that. I, I just knew I wanted to be involved somehow, and, and knew that I could probably figure it out as I went. Uh, and I certainly did. And we grew that account um, with a couple others uh, to 100, 
50,000 followers or, or something like that. We carried that all the way through our freshman year in college when our account inevitably got banned because the <laughs> crux of the content of the account was posting repurposed highlight clips that often had copyrighted music in it and, and Twitter operated at the time on the three strikes in your out rule. And so one Johnny Manziel highlight clip with a Drake song in the background later, <laughs> our account was banned. And it was a great wake up call of the fragility of not owning an audience that, you know, when you have 150,000 followers, yes, it feels great. And yes, you have the login, but you don't own that audience. You can't take them with you if your account gets banned or if you leave the platform. And we also did not build up the brand equity that anybody would care if we spun up an Instagram account or another Twitter account because we were just a commodity of a social media page. We weren't anything that really had... We weren't a brand that had some strong message to, to offer that people could you know, connect to. So when that happened, I was certainly distraught and certainly... I didn't know what to do with myself because that was the thing that I had been building up towards for a while. But at the same time, I felt a bit of relief because it felt like I live for football, you know, at the time, this is again, like 2017, 2018 was, was reaching a point to where it either had to be something or I just had to stop doing anything with it because it, you know, it didn't make a lot of money. Maybe most we'd make a couple hundred bucks a month. And that was split at the time, probably between four or five people. So you can do the math and we weren't making uh, bags and, the amount of time I was spending on the account certainly did not warrant uh, how little money I was making. And so there, there certainly was a sense of relief that when the account got banned, I was like, okay, I can now focus my attention on something that you know maybe can actually make some money. And that helped sort of luckily guide me in the direction of, you know, I'm, I'm doing all this stuff in my free time that's not at all related to biology, which was my major at the time. Maybe I should start listening to or reading the tea leaves on the wall and say like, I'm not interested in biology outside of school. The things I'm actually interested in outside of school are, you know, things like marketing and mass communications and copywriting. And, and those are all things that fit a marketing and entrepreneurship major a lot better than they fit a biology major. So I switched majors my freshman year, went on to graduate from the University of Minnesota, ended up freelancing actually right away out of school. I graduated in the middle of COVID in, in December of mm -hmm. 2020, which is an awful time to get a job, much less get a job in sports. Yeah. And so I had an internship get canceled, which led sort of forced my hand to start freelancing. Through that, I met my business partner, started a sports marketing agency and, and started creating content for myself, which is a fast forwarding of what happened. But that's that's the very beginning of it. Yeah, man, I've been checking it out. And I saw your posts of late. You were just in Milwaukee for this crazy uh, all-star theory where you're trying to be cheap and figure it out. You're just very creative and it's cool to see. And you're taking a different approach to it. And I think that's the way with sports marketing and, and finding your passion is you got to be putting your own unique twist into it. So super cool to see you do that. Speaking of uh, what you what you've been sharing recently, I thought it was super cool. So your brother's a D1 athlete and yeah. you're kind of showcasing, OK, this is what you can post to be on a trend side. But if you're actually going to get high quality value and relatable content out there, you got to throw, Hey, he's a D one athlete out here. Hey, this is what a D one athlete does. So cool. Cool that you can recognize what to do and you get to obviously test your theories right away. So it's awesome. As you point out, Ethan, it's like you have this immediate feedback loop where you can put something out and you know, right away, if it doesn't work, you know, whereas if you're a scientist trying to prove a hypothesis, you maybe have to go through months and months of testing. And, and it might be years before you ever find a, a resolution to the original thesis that you, you put out. But on social, as you describe, like it's something that you can test and iterate and, and, and change around at, you know, w w at a moment's notice, which I think is one of the, the huge benefits of social. 
Yeah. So what kind of got you into sports at a young age? Was it growing up in Green Bay and going to the Packer games and doing all the family fun on the Sundays or what got you into sports? I'm the oldest of three boys. And so sports was sort of the thing that we did in our house. We all played sports growing up all the way through high school. And I did not get my youngest brother's genes to be able to continue on to play in college. And even in high school, I was probably one of the, I was below the median in terms of general athleticism. For me, sports always, you know, held a place of like, not so much fueling a competitive urge, although I did get some of that out of it, but it was a way to build camaraderie and be around people. I I might not have seen myself be around. So I'll I'll unpack that a little bit. So I was a, a very anxious kid growing up. And so the thought of being in a bottom of the ninth, two strikes, two outs moment where I'm at the plate and I have to hit the ball to win the game, that terrified me. I would even go as far as to, if I was up in the inning and it was the end of the game and we were in a situation where we could you know, win the game in the bottom of the inning, I would game out all of the people in front of me and what had to happen in order for me to get out or for me to get up. And if I decided that there was no way I could get up in that inning because either we were going to lose because we'd you know, get out or because somebody ahead of me would have already won the game, I felt this burden just lift off my shoulders because I could go out there and look like I'm ready to get up to bat. I could stand on the end deck circle and be like, I'm ready to get up here. But in all reality, I've already decided that the bases are loaded and there's already two out. So either the game's going to end and we're going to lose or we're going to win because the guy ahead of me is going to score the winning run. So that, that sort of like pressure and anxiety was something that I never handled well growing up. For me, it wasn't like this big competitive drive that got really interested in the sports, but you know, rather it was this idea that I was on a team with a bunch of guys and uh, we might not have been friends when we were walking around the hallway in in school but you know the fact that we had this common understanding that you know maybe we you know maybe we weren't in the same friend group maybe these guys would say things i didn't agree with maybe some guy i thought was like not cool enough or too cool like it didn't really matter because you were all wearing the same uniform the same hat and that meant something and and i think i was as i grew up i, I tried to like dig into what that something meant like, you know, what does it mean to have a, a common identity, whether you're playing on a sports team or you're rooting for a sports team and, and what can, you know, that provide people, whether it be on a one to one basis or this like large societal basis. I, I think sports provide a really interesting backdrop into a, like the psychology of the human mind, because it's like, it seems now like it's one of the last frontiers where we can all agree on something and it can be like a connective tissue in our society. And so for that reason, I think it's really important. And I think that that thread that I started pulling out at at a very young age, like, you know, why, why does this matter to me? Why does this matter to other people is really what, what kept me interested. And now I use sports as a canvas to talk about issues outside of sports. I use it as a way to meet people I wouldn't already meet. I use it as a way to build a career. So it's like, it's always acted as this backdrop to be able to do, you know, things against and, all along the way, I'm, I'm entertained because I'm watching sports, which is something that, you know, an, an entertainment product I already love. Yeah. So you talked about, you know, the baseball theory of you getting up there potentially to bat with the nerves and whatever happens. Did you have that starting your freelance and now that you created your company? Do you have some sort of nerves in that where you're like, oh, this might not work or whatever? Like, sure. how does it feel as being an entrepreneur at such a young age and knowing you're doing your passion that you love? Yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, I, I do have these doomsdayical scenarios play out in my head <laughs> often late at night where I'm thinking <laughs> all of our, you know, now, now I run a, a sports marketing agency, like all of our clients tomorrow could 
all come to us and say, we're no longer working with you. And all of a sudden our business goes up in flames or, you know, even as a very young company or as a young freelancer, you're pretty heavily leveraged into three or four clients. And if one of those clients leaves, all of a sudden you lose 25% of your business. And so these scenarios would play out in my head and I would get really, I would feel really isolated or feel really siloed in these concerns. I would think, you know, nobody understands what I'm going through because a lot of people my age just would go and work at a corporate job and yeah, have this correct. sense that, you know, they're much safer in their employment and, and their income is much more consistent. And in some capacity that that is true, right? I would say like on a broad level, like if you look over 30 years, like maybe it is true that somebody who works at General Mills will earn a more consistent income. Like there'll be less fluctuations in their income up or down than somebody who is a self-described entrepreneur. But I also had to take a step back and you know this was only done through talking to professionals and, and working through it myself where I, I realized that okay, one, like from a really pragmatic standpoint, like I'm not at any more risk of losing my job than somebody who works at a corporation is. And if anything, yeah, I, nowadays, I, might, holy cow. I might feel more secure. Yeah, right. Because if you, you know, if, if you're a marketing specialist at General Mills and 2021 or 2020 happens and they have to go through layoffs, you you just went from having 100% of your income to 0%. Whereas Correct. in a client-based business like I operate in, if I lose a client, okay, maybe I go from 100% to 88% of our revenue for that month but it's not like 100 to 0 it's just this idea like recognizing that you know i've i've prepared for this I, i've done this for a while there is a body of evidence that i can prove to myself that hey this thing's going to work out you know this idea this this agency being a freelancer right out of school this is this is all going to work out but it, it's only in like stepping back and analyzing where that fear that anxiety is coming from can i really feel like i'm pulling myself out of it kind of move forward yeah. I'm going to ask you a question because we're both kind of around the same age. Do people take you seriously? Do like these sports marketing companies think that you know what you're talking about? Do they take you seriously? Like, okay, I, I've seen his TikTok. I've seen he has a big following. I see his business. Yeah, I'm going to take him seriously. Or is it like, does it take some convincing? Like, here, here's my data. Here's my metrics. Here's what I can do. Yeah, that's, that's another great question. Ethan. I think Candidly, I came up at a really beneficial time into this career. And so I think back now, even I, I, I would freelance all throughout college, even back in high school, like my senior year before I even came to college, I, I was freelancing. So that meant some small business owner in Green Bay, Wisconsin was paying me a yeah. couple hundred dollars a month to run his social media accounts. And I think back on that now, and I, and I ask myself the same question, which is, do I think he was taking me seriously? And I think the answer to that question is, he was to the extent that he even knew what he was talking about. As I grew up through high school and, and grew an account like I Live for Football, like that was sort of the first generation of anything like that happening. Like only in 2014, 2015, 2016 did we see the rise of these huge theme pages that were all built on curated content. Like, you know, you think of like Bleacher Reporter, House of Highlights now that yeah. were all built on highlights of other sports leagues. None of the content was owned, but you could still build an arbitrage and, and a massive following, and then you could sell ads against that massive following and, and you could build some sort of business. And so people came up to understand that that attention that could be driven on social media was important. But a lot of people, especially the people I was working with, felt too old or felt too far removed from my generation to think that they could even understand it. I would get a lot of outreach from people saying, hey, you're a young person. You have done this before. You clearly know what you're talking about. Like You're articulate enough to at least convince me that you know what you're talking about. I'm going to trust you and, and turn over my social to you, or could you help me with my social media? And 
I think a combination of those factors being like I was young. So there was some inherent trust built in because older people felt like they're too far removed from it. I'd already done it before. I, I was fortunate where early on before being a social media manager was like really a respected job. There, there wasn't a four-year degree I needed to have because nothing like that had existed before. So the only way that you could prove that you were good at the job was just doing it. I was one of the people that was doing it at the time. And so my resume was pretty much as good as anybody's. It didn't matter how old I was because I'd already grown in you know a couple accounts to 100,000 followers plus. And um, the last part of it is just having confidence in what you're saying. I think it goes back to what we were just talking about earlier, Ethan, which is you know, for a long time, I, I felt out of place or I felt like everything was just going to blow up in front of me. But then I remember like, hey, dude, for the last 18 months, you've been doing this successfully and you've been making more money every month than you were the month before. So clearly you're trending in the right direction. And there's no reason to fear things that are just hypotheticals and will never, ever happen. And so yeah. it, it was in like feeling that confidence that I could turn around and you know express and sell that confidence back to somebody. When I learned how to do that, I, I think that was the cherry on top of being able to start like a, a sustainable yeah. business as a freelancer. For sure. Yeah. So I have my own website design and development company that I created. And I want to hear your story of this too. When you land your first client, you are the happiest and most excited person on the planet. So what was kind of your like, how did it feel to land your first client? How did it happen? What transpired? Yeah, I'll tell you the story. So I, at the time, was working at Festival Foods, which I know, Ethan, you're a Midwest guy, so you're familiar with Oh, yeah. It's hey, a, they it's have a good donuts. They have good donuts. Yeah, it's it's a grocery store chain. I was working in the produce department. And the produce department was sort of notorious for being a really easy job because there's a back room that you could go into that had the freezer and the boxes of all the produce where you could basically hide out. So whereas if you're a cashier, you got to be on the floor all the time and you can't really yeah. sneak any time on your phone. If you're in the produce department, you could just go into the back room, hide from all the cameras, and you could be on your phone. And for me, that meant I'm on my phone. I'm like refreshing Twitter to see a tweet that I just put up on I Live for Football to, to see how it did, or I'm replying to DMs, or I'm doing something like that. So I remember I'm working a shift at night and, and I look and I get a DM from some football camp uh, on I Live for Football. And they're like, hey, we'd love your help promoting this camp. We see that you're in. In football, you know, we, hopefully you could put a tweet out about it and some football players will, will sign up for this camp. And I do a little digging into what the camp was. And I realized it was going to be located at St. Norbert College, which is up in De Pere, Wisconsin, right outside of Green Bay. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's funny. All the people that run this account are also from Green Bay, Wisconsin. Like pure happen chance that they even decided to reach out to us because all these pages could be located wherever, right? Like us being located in Green Bay was not a central part of our identity as a page yeah. at the time. We get to talking because we realized that there might be an an activation here more than just us, you know, tweeting about their camp. Like maybe we could come out and we could get content. For me, this is really, really exciting because we had never done any in-person thing like this before. And we never had thought about putting on an event. So the idea that there could be a bunch of high school football players that might very well follow us that are going to be at a camp in Green Bay, Wisconsin already. And we could go there and set up a table and give away wristbands and give away t-shirts was like super cool to us. Cause that was the first time the digital would ever have crossed over into the physical. And so we really started working with this camp to make sure that could happen. And we promoted them for a little bit. Then we went out to the camp and we did all those things that I just talked about. And it was really cool because the first time, again, that all of this stuff we were working on in our bedrooms or in the back room of festival foods was finally playing out in person. And people would come up to you and be like, I follow your page. I love it. And like that was the coolest feeling ever. And so the guy who ran this camp... Yeah, it, it really does, right? Especially when it's in person. Like all the comments you you mm-hmm. seem to filter out, but when one person says it in person, it it, it means yeah. exponentially more. And so the guy who runs this camp, uh, his name is Tom Wall. He also owns a 
Packers apparel company where he sets up a tent outside of Lambeau Field on game days and he sells shirts with, you know, funny sayings on them and, and cool designs that are sort of like, you know, the alternative of what you could get at the pro shop, which is usually a pretty like, you know, logo and the Nike swoosh. And so he sees that I have some competence in social media to our point earlier. And he sees that I'm a young kid and I've already been doing it before. And I'm articulate enough to, to hold a conversation with him. And he says, Hey, I need help running social media for my clothing brand. Do you think you could help me? I'm like, Oh my gosh, like that's so cool. Like he wants to pay me to help him do social. And it's for a Green Bay Packers clothing brand, which is we talked about at the beginning of the show, I'm a huge Packers fan. And so I said, yes. And I, I'm pretty sure he paid me, you know, 200 bucks a month, which was more money than I had probably ever made on Island for football up until that point. And so I was, you know, tweeting about him, you know, being outside in a tent at Green Bay Packer games. And it, it wasn't the most laborious job. And I probably wasn't the best person to run it because I, I didn't get too creative with it. I had no real skills other than an iPhone that I could snap some pictures with. But it was in that that I learned what clients were looking for. I learned how to how to talk to them, how to storytell around progress you were making on social, what a strategy could look like to sell a product to somebody because those were pressures that I'd never felt before. And I'm forever grateful to Tom for giving me that that first opportunity. And he's somebody that early on was was a real mentor to me. And it was uh yeah, as you say, like the coolest feeling to think that I could count on two hundred bucks every month for posting on social media. And that two hundred dollars at Festival Foods meant I had to be in person yeah. for a full day, whereas I could just be in my room, you know, for 15 minutes and, and tweeting out a picture. That was that juxtaposition really, really stuck out to me. Yeah, absolutely. That's a super cool story. I saw you did an in-person event and you were one of the speakers. How did that go? And what was a big takeaway from that experience? Yeah. So back in February. We did an event called Breakaway, which was a sports business event in which we were getting together. The, you know, the, the idea was to get together a bunch of sports business professionals in the Minneapolis area. In Minneapolis is actually sneaky, a really cool market for uh, sports tech startups, um, sports betting companies. Uh, even you know, we have like six major sports teams, um, including WNBA and an MLS team now. And so there's a lot of attention and energy and personnel and money around sports here. It's a fantastic sports town. It's certainly a tortured sports town, but uh, you know, it's a real passion for everybody that lives up here. And so to sustain that industry, there's a bunch of these professionals that work in marketing and work in operations and you know, work in sales and, and work in development. And to our knowledge, and this is on the Uncle Charlie side, which is our sports marketing agency, there wasn't an event that brought all those people together, sort of talk about industry secrets and just like a place for people to get to know each other. And so over a course of five or six months, we organized this event, which we ended up holding at CHS Field, which is the home of the St. Paul Saints, you know, formerly a, a very popular independent baseball team and now the AAA affiliate of the Minnesota Twins. And it was a, a fantastic space up at their club level. And we had close to 70 people show up, um, which was awesome. And, you know, that's an amazing food served and we had drinks and we had, yeah, panels of speakers that were fantastic. And the speakers ranged from I'm not going to call them old, but they're sort of like an older generation of operations and, and marketing people that could sort of speak to the, you know, the hiring and the you know brand strategy and direction of a sports franchise. And then we had a younger panel, which I was moderating, who were comprised of content creators and, and marketers who could sort of speak to 
the new direction of sports marketing and sports media and sports content creation. So it was awesome. The, honestly, Ethan, the demographic of people that we got to show up was super cool. It was a lot of young people who were interested in working in sports, a lot of students, which I was really encouraged to see. And I think it was really beneficial, especially for those younger people to come and just understand the type of people that work in sports, what their level of commitment is to it, how they're thinking and talking about things, the areas of focus that they're honing their skills in. A lot of people say they want to work in sports and then they just kind of stop the conversation there. And it's like, well, hold on. You can work in marketing. You can work in you know, operations, sales, supply chain, accounting. Like There are finance. There's a bunch of ways you can work in sports. So just saying that you want to work in sports isn't really enough. So I hope that we exposed those younger people to all the different ways that you could truly work in sports. And for the older guard that was showing up, I I think they got rejuvenated to know that there's a really impressive young crop of students that are always coming up and, and ready to help innovate and ready to help take you know these properties that we all love to the next level. So it was a fantastic event. Yeah. No, and that what you said right there relates to anything. If you have passion for, you know, science, there's totally different ways you can get into science. So what you said right there nails finding your passion and building a business around it, which you've obviously done. Before I let you go, what has been like some challenges or obstacles that you've really had to overcome by creating this passion into a business? The big one that I think about on a daily basis is how do I balance where I am right now and where I want to be. You could talk about that in the context of work-life balance, which I think is an important conversation. But I think that focuses in too granularly on a day-to-day level. And admittedly, it's still a battle that I fight, like knowing when to log off. And the fact that I work (laughs) in social media means you're never truly off. Or you could always at least justify why you have to be on social media at any time of the day, which isn't really a healthiest obsession. But I also like to pull back and think about my career from just a directional view. Like, am I doing more things today than I was six months ago that I like to do? Or more importantly, am I doing fewer of the things that I don't like to do as compared to six months ago? And so, you know, for me, it's like, how do I put that foot in front of the other to make sure I'm getting the things done today that just need to get done? I have obligations as an agency owner and as a content creator now, but how am I also setting myself up in 6, 18, 24 months to be in a position that I I really aspire to be in. I think sometimes we can just get lost in the day-to-day execution and not pull back and and think about the bigger picture. And I think that goes from like a brand strategy perspective. I, I think sometimes people are too keen to get a social media post out one day and not ever take the time to pull back and think, you know, what's the direction of my brand here? Also from a career perspective, I think too often we're just stuck in doing the monotonous day-to-day work. And we don't think about the steps that we could be taking now to you know, change the trajectory of our career 1% at a time. And so those are some of the things that I think about. And I make sure I allot time every day for the future thinking stuff and more of the time to the stuff that needs to get done that day. But it's always a balance that I honestly still struggle to find. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And that's good that you're you're hot about it. You're honest about it. You're open about it. And most importantly, you're very transparent. So that's super cool. Any motivational you know, quote or message that you want to share to the audience today? I think the biggest thing I will say, especially in my industry, is there are fewer gatekeepers than ever to that are preventing you from doing what you want to do. And so I'll speak specifically to sports and to content creation or to, to marketing. 
if you wanted to be a prominent figure in sports media or sports business 20 years ago, you would have to go to an accredited and an expensive four-year university, probably Northwestern or Syracuse to get some sort of sports journalism degree. And then you'd have to work your way up through local news and then regional networks. And then maybe one day when you're 45, 50 years old, you'd be lucky enough to be the 1% of the 1% of the people who get to work at a place like ESPN or Fox Sports mm -hmm. or CBS. And today, that's not true. You can reach just as many people, if not more. I, I would argue that I probably reach more people than some of these shows on ESPN do because For I can sure. post freely on a open and democratized platform. And now all that standing between you and your ability to do that is your own inhibitions and your motivation to get started. And so I just want people to step back and think, I know it feels harder than ever today to get a job or to get a job in the area that you want. But I also want you to think about how there are fewer obstacles for you to do the things that you want to do, especially when you pull into perspective 30, 40, 50 years ago. And so make sure that is a feeling that sits inside of you. And it doesn't have to be at the front of your mind every single day, but make sure you remind yourself of that every once in a while and think, okay, what steps am I doing? Understanding that there are fewer gatekeepers than ever to get to where I want to go. And if there's a destination I have in mind, and I know that I have to get through certain gatekeepers because there's always going to be people that are going to stand For in the sure. way or gonna, sure. you know, prevent you from getting to where you want to go. Is That's there... A, a second path that you can, you know, circumvent them and, and and do it yourself. So, just a helpful reminder for people that might be needing it. Uh, that's awesome. That's awesome because you started out this young. People are most mostly going to be like, "Wow, that's crazy. He's doing that. Wow, go him." What has been one of your most thankful moments that you really appreciated that has happened to you? <sighs> that's a really good question. I think I have to think back to some of my very first clients and they were not only people that paid me to do social media work for them, but they were also older guys, two in particular, Tom Wall and, and another guy by the name of Paul Miller, who represented another handful of my clients. And they acted as mentors for me. And I don't even know if they always realized they were doing it because they would hire me and I would pitch them on hiring me and they would agree to it. And then they would push me to continue to do more. It was like, they always wanted to push their own brands forward or their own projects forward, of course. And that's always the push and pull of a freelancer and a client relationship. But there were many times where I would come to them and say, Hey, listen, I, I just don't know how to do that. I've just never done that before. And they would say, whatever you can do for me is better than I could get anyway. So why don't you just go and figure it out? And they gave me the license to fail and they gave me the ability to go do something, not do it very well. And I still felt supported and like I wasn't going to lose my job. Because as I say, when you have two clients and if you lose one of them, all of a sudden you're out 50% of your income. And so that fear to do something that's not going to turn out well can sit really deeply inside of you. And you might not want to try things you've never done before because you're going to get fired if it turns out poorly. But those two guys specifically gave me the freedom to do things poorly and to try new things and to test and iterate without the fear that I was going to be dropped because they didn't like the way it turned out. I'm forever thankful for that. And that's you know a feeling that now sits inside of me a little bit stronger where I feel comfortable going to a client and saying, Hey, we need, we need to try this. And it might turn out badly, but if we don't take this swing, we're not going to get to the end point or the goals that, that we've set together. And so it's almost flipped for me where now I feel like I'm the one pushing our clients forward today. 
in the same way that you know, I, I felt pushed very early on in my career. Dude, that's the best passion advice you can give for somebody that wants to start a business for their passion right there. That was, that was awesome. So once again, Tyler, thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing your insights. Thank you for being your honest, true self and talking about a thing that you are incredibly determined and passionate for. Every day until your dreams coming true, yeah. Grinding every day until your dreams coming true, yeah. Grinding every day until your dreams coming true. Wanna make it happen? Well, it all starts with you. Start with flipping the mentality, making visions reality. Screw all the practicality, wasn't meant for normality. Time to unlike the beast, so bring out all of your savagery. All in every day, how it has to be.